<laughs> All right. How you guys doing? Good? I leaned over to John over here. I was like, was I the only one getting rocked in worship? I was like, man, I just want to cancel the service and just hang out all day. Um, cool. Well, we are going to deviate from our normal path today. Um, I've been preaching through the book of Matthew, and the Lord put something on my heart for us this week, and so I wanted to jump out of the normal kind of path that we've been going down and share with you guys a message that I feel like God's really speaking to me, and I believe speaking to us as a community. So we're going to go somewhere a little bit different today. Uh, we, yeah, no, not a, not a hint of Matthew in this one. Sorry. No Matthew. There's Luke, but no Matthew. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you that you give grace to the humble. And God, I ask that in this time, God, that you would do your work in this time, God. That you would give me the privilege of being able to be an instrument in your hand. And that you'd give this group the privilege of being able to be clay in your hand. As you mold us, as you shape us into the beautiful image of Jesus, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about the vision that we have for our life today. Small little topic. Um, but I want to ask, like, what's the vision that you have for your life? When you look 30 years down the road and you look down and you turn around and you go, okay, what have I done with my life? What's the thing that comes up? Is it a blank slate? Is it something so big that it terrifies you? Is it a bunch of question marks? You know, it could be a lot of things. And, uh, you know, as I've thought about this and I've talked with a lot of people, sometimes, especially Christians uh, who are really going hard after the Lord, there's a, there's a thing that can happen where the vision that we have can very easily be as full-time ministers, like people who don't work out in the world and they go and do full-time ministry and then you go, yeah, I have vision for what that looks like. I'd be in a church, I'd be meeting with people all the time, I'd be blessing them or I'd be preaching or I'd be whatever it is. It, it feels like it can get really tangible as to what a kingdom expression of our life can look like in that setting. But when we say, what does it look like for a school teacher? What does it look like for a stay-at-home mom? What does it look like for a student on the campus? What does it look like for somebody who goes into the marketplace? Sometimes it's harder in those settings. And sometimes I find myself jealous of people like Claire and Luke, where they're like on the mission field and they get to just like be about Jesus 24-7 and, you know, go into various places and tell people about the good news that have never heard the good news. And there's something about it that just, it makes it feel really tangible or easy. And sometimes I get jealous of Suki, right? <laughs> Suki has to do full-time ministry at the Ark where she just hangs out with y'all, and she meets with people all the time, and, and, the, and her whole goal of meeting with people is people come in, it's all about them, and it's about what Jesus is doing in their life, and she just fixates on them, listens to God, tells them the good news that she's hearing, and people get set free. I'm like, that's awesome! You know, like 30 years down the line, she looks back, and there's like all of these people that are like way more set free because of the life that she lived. That's awesome, right? That is awesome. Would it? Yeah. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> what about all the rest of us? 
And I think sometimes it's hard to get a grasp of like, what does it look like to do this thing really, 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 really well, but not in the full-time vocational sense, not in the sense where just every day is, you know, like you're just this part of your job. It's built into the way you do your job. And so I was thinking about students. I was thinking about single moms. I was thinking about me as I go to the office every day. I was thinking about all the various ways that we go every day. What does it look like to do life incredibly well there? And there was something that started beating in me, and it was this little thing called significance. I feel like the thing that drives me more than anything else is this idea of significance. The idea of significance is the quality of being worthy of attention or importance. It's that you're recognized for something great, and in my, in, in my dreams, it's real behind it. It's not a facade. It's like, whoa, you've done something. You are something that is special, that is amazing. That's a life that, that like, is worthy of a call-out, is worthy of a stop, is worthy of significance. And I think being in the Bay Area, if you're in the tech world at least, for any amount of time, but I think it permeates the entire Bay Area, there's this thing in almost everybody that's this drive for significance. You cannot be a tech company these days if your mission does not include something about changing the world. <laughs> Seriously, you can't just make a widget anymore. It can't just be like, no, I just make this thing that helps people remember to brush their teeth every morning. It's like, I am saving the world one mouth at a time. And like, people are like, seriously, like everything is tied to some like grandiose, massive vision. Sometimes it's real and sometimes it's totally hollow. But what they're getting at is they realize they can't get great people that have this kind of heartbeat without having a vision or a mission that has something like that baked into it. And why is that? It's because God put greatness in, inside of all of us. He put, he put this, this fire and this passion for significance that beats in all of us. And I remember, I've told this story a number of times in this church, but when I got, when I got saved or pulled out of this keg party my sophomore year in college, so I was, I was, for those of you guys who don't know, I was in the middle of a keg party, had a red solo cup in my hand, walking out to the dance floor, terrible dancer, so it's probably good that the Lord stopped me there and not like, not 15 minutes later. Um, so, so I'm about to like go out on the dance floor and I feel the Lord speak to me and says, you're trying to squelch your insecurities with alcohol and you're trying to prove you're significant by hooking up with girls. And it was this, but if you, if, you, if you stop and think about it, this thing of significance can take so many different forms. In this case, it was like, can you hook up with the hottest girls? Because then there's a worthy of, uh, there's a worthy of recognition there. It's like, wow, like your friends go, that's amazing. Like, you're the man, right? Like, I can't even do it anymore. I used to be able to do it. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> but like, that's one expression, right? That's one expression. Another expression is changing the world for good, right? How many nonprofits are there out in the, in the world that their sole mission is to go into some community that needs change and to bring change? What's in the heart of those founders? I don't know. It could be something like, wow, I really just want to help this group of individuals. It could be, I want significance. And the way significance is, the way significance is going to look is by helping all these people. 
And so at least a portion of it, maybe not the full thing, it's not a whole, it's like not an all or nothing at all thing, but probably a portion of it is, I want to feel like my life was worth living. I want to leave a legacy. I want my kids to respect me. I want people around me to honor me. I want to feel good about the way that I've lived. And this thing of significance in the life that we're living, I feel like it's just, it's just baked into us. Everybody's got it, unless there was enough hopelessness in life that, that snuffed it out. But God created us in a way for greatness. And we come along this passage in Luke chapter 8, where literally his disciples are arguing with each other about who will be the greatest. I find this awesome. Like, I don't look down on the disciples in this. I'm like, this is a great moment, right? The disciples are literally walking around with Jesus, arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest. And so if you back up a couple of chapters from Luke chapter 9, the cool part is, is Jesus has been on fire lately. Like, he's doing awesome stuff. He's preaching the best messages. He's healing people with crazy stuff. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. And they're his guys. Like, this is their moment of fame. They're his disciples. The guy who's famous, like the, the one, they're the disciples of this guy. And so you can imagine they're walking into a town and they're like, see this guy? You know, like, they, they are, they're walking with Jesus. He's the one. Wow. My wife's heckling me up here. <laughs> but you get the picture. And then to make matters even better, so after they just have the strut from being with the guy, like they're the right-hand the right guy to the guy, then he sends them out and they start doing this stuff. Right? Like they start going and healing people and casting out demons and preaching the gospel and telling people the good news. And, and they're on fire. And they start to believe. Right? They start to believe like, wow, maybe this is it. Maybe I have found the life. Maybe, maybe this is my moment of like significance where my life actually means something. The stuff that I've done up until this point is amassing to this moment, and I've found this thing. And so you can understand like why they would be going to each other and be like, hey, did you see that guy? I pulled him up off the mat. That was pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but did you see that guy who's filled with demons? I totally took those, I, I pulled those demons right out of him and threw them into the pit of hell. Like, that was way better. And the other one's like, well, I totally ruined that funeral. Like, they were, they were mourning and all that stuff. The person popped right out of the casket, and now he's, like, running around. Look, he's right there. Right? Like, you can see, the, like, why they would be comparing and jockeying for this greatness thing. And so what you would expect to come on the other side of this is Jesus goes, will you guys stop it? Like, that's disgusting. That's not humility. That's not what we're about, all this stuff. But instead, he says this. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whomever of you welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So he doesn't tear down their desire for significance. He doesn't tear down their desire to be great. He completely redefines it for them. He says, hey, you think it's about power. You think it's about all these signs and wonders. You think it's about the crowds that follow us. It's not about any of that stuff. In fact, the immediately preceding passage to this 
Jesus starts to introduce to them the fact that he's going to lay down his life and die for the sake of humanity, and they can't even hear it. It doesn't register in their thinking because it's so far from their picture of greatness that the greatest one would be laying down his life as a servant and as a slave to die on a cross for humanity. They can't even register it. But Jesus does not shut down this fire of significance in their heart. He redefines it and said, hey, if you want to be great, me too. Like, I put that in you. That's like being in the image of me. Is, is, that's a part of it. And then he says, if you want to do that, here's how you do that. And he redefines it. So I'll propose to you that whatever vision we have of our life, no matter what setting it's in, whether it's a teacher in a classroom, whether it's Suki, whether it's me, whether it's the business realm, whether it's anything, a student in the university, if it doesn't contain these components, it's worthless. Jesus is defining what real greatness is. And he defines it in such an upside-down way that if we don't take some effort, we will default into something that is not true greatness. His kingdom is so bizarre and so different, it's not the same. He takes a little child, and he, and he holds the little child at his side, and he says, hey, for it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. And so what can we learn about this as we apply it to all the different areas of the efforts that we can go after, the, the things that we can put our attention and our effort towards? What can we learn as Jesus puts this little child next to him? The first one, welcoming the least is the job of welcoming God himself. Welcoming the least is like welcoming God himself. I'll just give you a little vision for whatever you do, whether it's a classroom, whether it's a business, whether it's a, take this and translate it into anything you do. Wherever you go, the way that you welcome the person that happens to be in front of you is the way that you're loving God in that moment. That's what it says right here. It says, whoever's in front of you, whether they're great or they're least, however you're welcoming that person, that's how you're welcoming me, Jesus says. It's the equivalent. And however you welcome me is the way that you welcome my father. And so it's kind of funny because I think we struggle with this thing of what's the vision for me in this area of life? I don't know what it looks like. I've never seen somebody do this well, but it's actually super simple. It is so simple. And it's this. No matter where you go, no matter who's in front of you, you're loving God or not loving God. When you boil it down to that, your life can be bursting with vision. You literally go to the grocery store and you have the opportunity to love Jesus. You have the opportunity is everywhere now. Whereas before, it feels like, where's my opportunity? I'm kind of just waiting to, for the thing to come along, and will I get called into ministry at some points? Because then my life can start, and then I can start doing it. And Jesus totally shatters that thing right here, and he says, opportunity is literally everywhere. It is everywhere you look. This is not a problem of opportunity for us anymore. We have vision bursting out of our heads when we see this way, because you're like, oh, the teller, that's Jesus. 
I'm going to show you, I'm going to go crazy on this teller. I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to take out a hundred for me and a hundred for them. Right? Like it totally changes the way you, you go, you're going around the grocery store. There's somebody like stocking cans there and you just come by and be like, wow, like thank you for what you're doing. Like I get to shop here every day and I look at these aisles and man, look at how straight these cans are. This is crazy. Do you use like a laser measure or is this just like a God-given skill? Right? Like, you go around giving significance to everybody that you just stop, and you treat like it's, it's actually just Jesus standing in front of you. And he goes, when you do that, you're loving me like that. And when you're loving me like that, you're loving my Father like that. That is, that is crazy. We were doing a, uh, a leadership class uh, at LinkedIn uh, recently. I love the leadership training that I get there. And one of the things that we were talking about that's baked into pretty much any leadership class that you'll take is how most of leadership, because leadership is about inspiring and influencing people, most of inspiring and influencing people starts with care. Like people need to feel cared for before they're going to allow you to truly influence them. So you can lead with power where they have to follow you, but that's like the most, that's like the base level, the, the least interesting kind of leadership but the type of leadership that's, that's really powerful in the corporate setting or any setting that changes worlds is when people find a leader, they're like, whoa, that person is capable and that person cares. And so <clears throat> we're talking about how we can be leaders uh, in a way that like, people feel cared for constantly. And you know what the number one thing that came up with my little leadership group was? The busyness of the day is the thing that kills care. Just the busyness of the day. And there was one person that gave the example of you're at your desk and you're doing your emails and somebody on your team comes up and they say, hey, I got this thing going on, you know? And, and you go, yeah, yeah, cool. So what is it? Uh-huh. Multitask. You, you know, like they're talking to the side of your head and they get half of you. Like how many, how many of us have done that, right? Like anybody in the work setting, students too. You're at your laptop, you're writing your term paper. Somebody comes up and is like, hey, this thing happened to me this week. And you're like, huh? Uh, yeah? Uh-uh. You know? <laughs> it's just like, that's, that's what we, and, and everyone was like, man, the, the running to meeting, from meeting to meeting, the feeling like I have to run out at the end of the day to get home, the, the emails piling up that feel like they're just a burden on my shoulders, all of this stuff, this is the number one thing that probably makes people not feel cared for around me. Isn't that crazy? Out of all the things that it could be, it's the busyness of the day. But I bet for most of us, we're like, yeah, like that actually, as silly as it sounds, that totally makes sense. And we were talking about the power of being at your desk and somebody walks up, pulling your hands away from your email, turning and facing them, and saying, like, what's, okay, what's going on? Or, if you can't, if you're in something that you can't do that, you turn and you face them, and you'd be like, hey, can I come grab you in five minutes? I've got to finish this thing up, and then I'd love to, like, help you with your thing. But it's, it's so simple, but so powerful. Because what it is, is the person that, if, if Jesus just walked up to your desk, how would you treat him? Would you give Jesus your, your, side, your side thing with your, with your tapping keys? Of course not. There's such a statement in this crazy world that we live in that runs at 3,000 miles an hour of living differently, of stopping 
and being like, you're the person in front of me. You're the person that matters most to me in this world right now. Stop for the one. Cool. Engaged. And then turn and do your thing. I got a great compliment from somebody that I'm mentoring at work today. And it was basically that exact thing. She said that she heard this in one of the trainings she was going for. And she's like, and she's like I thought of you. She's like, because it feels like you're staring into my soul every time we talk. <laughs> like, that's the spirit of God. Like, God. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But I, was, <laughs> but I was like, that was like such a compliment, right? That was such a compliment for me that, that, that she said that. And, and what I said to her is true. I said, I've been working on that for two years. It's totally true. I've been working on that for two years. Because, like, I don't, me, I think, I'll say this, probably more than all y'all, I feel like when I'm talking to somebody, it's like, this thing's going on. It's like, my mind works overtime when I'm talking to somebody to just, like, jet in all these different directions. Have you ordered dinner? What do you have going on tomorrow? What's this thing? Who won the game? You know, it's like all of these things. And you just got to be like, okay, no, I am active listening right now. But, but this simple thing shows up in so many different ways. You know why? Because when you're really listening, you're in the, in, the, in the elevator. This happened to me on Friday. You're in the elevator with the person, and the guy goes, yeah, I, I have to go to Orlando this weekend because I just found out my father has cancer. And instead of just blowing by it, that's the thing that matters most to you at this moment. So you're listening to God as to what kind of gift you can give to this person, or maybe just listening. We don't need to make this like super crazy, supernatural, spiritual stuff. This is just stuff where, and you register it, and the next time you see that person, you go, hey, I've been thinking and praying a lot for your family these days. What's going on with your dad? It's been three weeks. I'd love an update. Do you know like what those simple type things do for people? That, that is living love. That is living love. Those simple things are the types of things that make people stop in their tracks and go like, who is that? Like, what, what is that? What is going on with that person that that is how they live? It doesn't need to be the crazy stuff all the time. And I felt this renewed fire in me of just like, you know, you guys know me. I, I want to go after the big stuff more than, more than all y'all. Sounds like Paul in the Gospels, right? It's like, I speak in more tongues than any of you. It's like, I'm going after this harder than all you. No, I don't know, but (laughs) probably, probably, but let's move on. Um, But like, there's this renewed fire in me this week that was just, that was just like, why am I overcomplicating this thing? Why am I, why am I making this something that I can't do right now? And I love Jesus because Jesus just breaks it down. He's like, here's a little kid. Here's a little kid. Become like this guy and you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the first thing that he does is he talks about welcoming God by welcoming the least. The second thing he he talks about is becoming the least. The first one is 
Yeah, I know. The first one is find, find the person that's the least, honor them, love them, give them your best, and that's just like you're doing it to me. And then the second part of the passage, you'll notice he does a little sneaky thing here. He, t- he changes it. He says, whoever welcomes this little child welcomes it, me in my name, welcomes, welcomes the father as well. And then he says, for it is the one, it's the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. He then takes this thing where he says, like, love the least, and then he says, hey, you want to be great? Become the least. And when we were worshiping, that passage about God gives grace to the humble just, like, started to come alive in me. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this idea of grace is that God comes with an ability and a power to do what you could never do, and it's all him. And, and it was reminding me of that passage where Paul was talking about how he boasts in his weakness now because the power of Christ is per- perfected in weakness. And when I hear stuff like that, I'm just like, I just don't get that. Like, I just don't see weakness that way. Like, I see the areas where I'm weak, and that becomes like the area that I most focus on and feels like I magnify and becomes the biggest. And Paul not just, he doesn't just say, like, Christ is so big that he can overcome my weaknesses. He says, I boast in my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, his power is perfected. It's so upside down. But it's so key to understanding what it means to become the least. You can just embrace this posture in life where it's just really not about you. So much easier when you believe that it actually isn't going to hinder greatness in your life. I'm going to say that again. It's so much easier to just bra- embrace this thing where it's just like not about, it's not about you. But, but when you understand, then when, when you say that, it doesn't mean that you're just laying down this whole thing of greatness, that you just go into things and you're just like, if this was up to me, it would probably end up subpar. But it's not up to me. And so all of a sudden, like our weak place puts us in the position that postures us perfectly for God's power to swoop in. It's the, it's the one position where his grace floods in. And it's exactly like the cross, if you think about it. Jesus comes, he dies a horrible death, and the way that we access that atonement, that, that thing that eliminates all of our sins that we've ever done wrong in our entire life, with one fell swoop, Jesus wants to just wash it all away, and the way that that happens is through humility. Nobody enters into any of that in pride. That is like the one thing that God refuses to honor. I mean, he is just like, pride is sickening. It's disgusting to him. So to think that somebody could come to the cross of Christ and receive its benefits in a place of pride for God, it's like, no. No. In fact, it says God resists the proud. He literally objects the proud. God has become your block if you're in pride. But he says, but for the humble, for the one that sees themselves as a little child, for the one that sees themselves as not the most important person in the room, for the one that sees themselves as the one that can't really get anything done and is pretty much 100% dependent on others to provide for their needs, And if they're going to accomplish anything of significance, it's probably not at their own hand. 
That one, that one I can give my grace to. That one I can place my power on. That one I can make great. That one whose heart is humble in a place of like, Jesus, how could I not love these people around me? With all that you've given me, like, if you can use this, please use this. And God goes, yeah, I can use that. Because it was never about your strengths or weaknesses. It was always about the posture of your humble heart. And the faith that you have to believe that I can rest on even that and do great things. And so Jesus boils this significance thing down. He tears it apart from the power and the, the worldly influence and all of this stuff that his disciples think it is. Oh, am I going to be, you know, am I going to be more famous than John? John's like, I'm faster than you, Peter. I beat you every time. <laughs> I'm going to beat you, right? And he says, it's none of that stuff. Do you have the ability to love people like I'm the one that's standing in front of you? And you have the humility to come into a place of low posture where you're able to have the greatness of God rest on you as a humble servant, as an instrument in the Lord's hands. You know, the thing that I was meditating on this week was everything in God's creation finds its significance in being what it was created to be and in, as an outflow of that, doing what it was created to do. When you watch something in God's creation do what they were created to do, there's just glory on it. You know? Like when a, when a tree grows up huge and you go into a redwood forest and you're like, this tree doesn't need to do anything. It is glorious. Why? Why is it glorious? What about that is striking? It's functioning in the function that God had created it to do. And then you look at you know, you can take any kind of example. When something in creation is functioning in what God created it to do, there's just significance and glory in it. You know, you think about, I was thinking about um, the announcement of Jesus' birth with Mary. An angel comes and shows up at Mary's door. Like, why did an angel show up? Why didn't God just, like, speak to her in a booming voice? Or why didn't he write it on the wall? Why didn't he do a lot of things? And it's because everything in creation gets the privilege of operating in the intention that God had for it to operate. Angels, too. It was like, it was, who was it who brought, was it Michael? Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah, Mar Michael's the fighter. Gabriel's the messenger, right? Something like that. Gabriel comes. This is like his moment. Right? This is like his moment. He gets the privilege of coming with God's message to Mary and announcing the Christ child. I wonder if he knew beforehand that he was going to be able to do this and he was waiting for like millennia. You know? Like, when's it going to happen? When do I get to go? When are you going to release it? Can I go? Father's like, not yet. Fullness of time is not there yet. You can release this message. It's not as cool as the one we'll release later but it's pretty good. But like, it's the, it's the great privilege of our life to be able to be used by God. He's created us in a way where we're supposed to be like Jesus. 
That's our significance. That's our glory, is that we get to operate as an extension of him. Isn't that crazy? Like, we hear these, we hear these um, things in the New Testament that talk about us being the hands and the feet of Jesus. You're like, oh, that's cool. No, no, no. You get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You get to be the heart of God expressed on the earth. Like, that's you operating in your created being, and that's where significance is found for all of us. And so this whole thing that Jesus does here is he starts to define what that looks like for us in any setting that we're in, in any sector of society, no matter what phase of life we're in, the person in front of you, your brother or sister in Christ or otherwise, right? Your spouse, it doesn't matter who's standing in front of you. All of a sudden, you're serving God in everything that you do. And in that sense, dude, allow God to give you vision, great vision for your life whenever he wants to give you great vision for your life. I talk to so many people that are just like, man, I have no vision for my life. And I'm like, when you have no, when you have no specific vision for your life, fall back on the general. It's pretty cool. Like the general one's pretty good. And I kind of have a feeling that if you get really good at the general one, he'll make you a specific one. So it's like, man, let's like, let's like lay down that like never-ending fight for vision and let's like love the one that we have of getting to be Jesus in the places that we go. Amen? All right, Steve, come on up. I'm going to pray for us and we can jump back into worship. Cool. Let's stand up. So we'll have a prayer team up here. If you uh, want prayer for anything that was spoken or unspoken. Uh, if you have a need that, that was not kind of like expressly addressed in the sermon and you want, you know, whatever that need is, we'd love to pray for it. So come on forward for that stuff too. But let's just pray into, um, into what we talked about. Well, Lord, we just thank you, God, <clears throat> for the privilege of being able to be your heart and your hands and your feet on the earth, God. God, with the vision for our life that everybody that we come into contact to, from the greatest to the least, is Jesus before us. And the desire to love would just pour through us in humility. God, would you change the way we see everywhere we go? Would you change the way we see the teller? Would you change the way we see our neighbor? Would you change the way we see our boss? Would you change the way you see the CEO of our company or the president of our school? God, would you change the way we see that our job is to love as you loved and to lay down our life and to sacrificially give and to pour out our life like a drink offering so that other people can find you and so that the other people can find life. We give you the glory and the honor and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.